You're listening to the Antos Podcast, where we explore the nature of stories in the pursuit of being and truth. I'm Vod. And I'm Mac. And our sentience depends on you. Now cue the intro music. Oddly, it was Alindi's simple ingenuousness that led me, that first led me to befriend him. I employed him as an assistant during the first months in the Grand City. It wasn't until years later that I became convinced that Alindi was the hero of ages. Hero of ages, the one called Rabzin in Hellenium, the Ananester, Savior. All right, chapter 11 and uh, 12. 11 and 12. Yes. All right, all right, all right. So we'll just hop right into it because there's a bit to discuss here. So uh, there's a second army, and it's Set's army. And oh boy, that's not either. What was it? Uh, <laughs> Ellen was like, anyway, this army is friendly. And Clubs is like, oh, do you mean the guy who just sent eight misting assassin, uh, you know, seven misting assassins and a misborn to uh, to kill you? The like, one who sent all those original ones yeah. that Ben took out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never mind. Well, Ellen is stressed as can be. Uh, he's having his whole crisis of character again with going like, if Kelsier was here, if Kelsier, if Kelsier, if Kelsier. Not a very healthy mindset to have here. Indeed. Um, yeah, he's not here. You're here. You gotta solve the problem. Well, they see one little bit of a hope coming out of Set's army. They see a lone rider fleeing as there seems to be soldiers chasing him uh, trying to kill him. And Vin's like, oh man, it's Breeze. So here comes Breeze out of Set's army running away. And we have the really cool moment of seeing what Duralamin can do. Indeed. Vin literally <laughs> jumps off the top of this wall and launches herself like a catapult. Like when I picture this, I picture her, I picture her launching like several football fields three four you know 600 yards out past this wall to I, meet the incoming rider i imagine it like a cannon like just yeah. boom and then she goes but yeah so she goes flying and she lands in between breeze and the riders and she just starts taking them out like you get to see again what a mistborn can do to um people not prepared to fight like just normal soldiers like in in a battle right she's like Flipping arrows back at that, the archers killing them. She's pushing on the horseshoes of the of the horses themselves, tripping them up. It is just wild, and we just have that moment of utter destruction. Uh, but she kind of hold, she holds back. I say utter destruction in the sense that she like handily deals with them, but she doesn't actually try killing them very often. Like she 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 kills obviously. I think the first guy who shot the arrow when she reflects right. it back at him. But the rest, she's just delaying. And I think she says, like, you know, Kelsier would have killed all of them. You know, I'm not Kelsier. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't slaughter them all. And she ends up getting Breeze back to safety. And yeah, man, Breeze is like, Breeze is back. And we get to see something really funny because you always would point out that Breeze is like the butt of the jokes of the group. And he comes back in. Thanks, Vin, and then just starts flaming everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he just starts start ro he's start roasting everything, um, just tears them all up, and it's funny. Um, and Ellen's like, "Well, Breeze, you know, you're here. That's interesting. Um, so, how are you going to make Set's army disappear?" And he's like, "You idiot! I spent the last three months trying to get Set's army here." 
And he's like, oh, so Seth's on our side. He's like, oh, most certainly not. <laughs> and the next like sequence is just a really brilliant sequence. Um, it's something I never would have thought of. As, I mean, he, as he details why this is a good thing, actually. <laughs> yeah, like they, they learn, you know, what was it? Spook came back like a couple chapters ago and Spook's like, some idiot keeps trying to spread this that we have the ATM when they've been trying to spread that there is an ATM. And Breeze is like, uh-huh, I am that genius. And so uh, we basically find out like, oh, you know, yes, I have brought a very strong army here, but I've made us the most powerful people here because we have the negotiating power. Yeah, because when two armies are evenly matched, the weakest party is the strongest because whoever they side with is going to win. And uh, yeah, so a very brilliant move on Breeze's part here, bringing that second army. You know, it ends up being the bargaining chip that Ellen needs now because like, like, like Breeze mentioned, they hold all the power and now they have time because no army can no army can attack them without the other army winning. Therefore... As long as uh, the only thing that's going to stop them is if they get starved out. So there is still a time limit here. We still have stakes, but they have a lot more time than they did with it when it was just Straff's army out there waiting to take the city. So Elland is pretty, uh, pretty happy here. They end up going like, you know, Breeze. Breeze is like, we need to just convince one of them to take their sides. And it's like, well, Breeze, could you help convince Set? And he's like, yeah, no. And everyone's like, why? He goes, well, we had a bit of a falling out. And uh, and Ham goes, like, oh, Breeze, did he, did he find you with his daughter or something? And Breeze is like, shut, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, Breeze is like, shut up, man. <laughs> like, just shut up. And Vin thinks about it for a moment and goes, Breeze is a lot of things, but, like, he's not a ladies' man. And, it, and she goes, I don't even mean that in the fact that he tries and he fails. He just never tries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, whatever. But Breeze is like, well, we're just going to go back. We need to start having a discussion here. What the heck's with the wolfhound? And Ellen's about to say something, and Vin just kind of goes, it's my dog. And Ellen's like, well, I guess we're keeping that a secret. I guess we're keeping uh, And he's like, yeah, I got it for her. And he's yeah. like, what would you get, a poodle? Which It's nice to know that poodles are on Scadrial. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> poodles are on Scadrial, confirmed. Um, But yeah, and... It's all good and dandy. They go back to the palace. Everything's working out exactly as planned. It's perfect. They got this. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, or sir, you left your bones around. Not, no big deal, or sir. We're like, we'll just sweep this under the rug. Sir, there's a second set of bones. What? Oh, <laughs> uh, there's um, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you want to do with the other body? The, the what? The other body? <laughs> or sir, you only took one body, right? So right, <laughs> yeah. So there is another Chandra, and that's where we're left with the end of part one. So yeah, that's the end of part one, and we go jump straight into chapter twelve here. Okay, and so chapter twelve, beginning of part two, we have uh, Sazed's point of view again. Marsh and him have made it to Saren, and. They found that Sazed easily points out this place wasn't made to be defended. It was made to be secluded because it's inside of a crater. And Sazed's like, I'm no warrior or general, but like we just like put siege engines up here and, and like you could just catapult down on this and take it with ease. And he's like, yeah, it must have just been hidden on purpose. You know, that's the whole point. And so Sazed ends up tapping eyesight, which is awesome because, again, we get to see more ferrochemy here. And it's described. It's not like it's not like tin. You know, to me, tin was just just described as. You know, <clears throat> I always saw tin as like looking through binoculars, 
really. But like ferrochemy, it's weird. It's more so like how would you describe it? It's not the same. It's like acuity. Um, yeah, it's like it's like all the details, but exactly what you're looking like, exactly what you're looking at, are like faded out. It's mm-hmm. like looking through like a microscope more so. Right. So you have like I think in my opinion you have better vision than ten. But 10 is like that broad, oh, my vision's just zooming in. And my, and this one's more like that little thing, you know, I can see your face perfectly from where I am right now. And everything else is a blur. Yeah. So cool. I lo- I, I'm i going to always point out Farrakimi. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. my favorite bit of magic. And we get a lot of it here. Uh, so here we go. They end up going inside. And March is like, yeah, the Steel Inquisitors are gone. And he believes it. And he's like, they're heading north. And... Says it's like to Luthadel, and he's like, among other things. Yeah, among other things, which I just I need to know, mm-hmm. right? The Steel Inquisitors were these monstrous menace, and so far, if 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 Ellen's kingdom's been lasting, it's been over a year. Has Marsh just kept them all in their place? Like, what the heck is going on with the Steel Inquisitors? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, Sazed, this is one of my favorite things too. Sazed prepares himself for a battle which is so cool. You see, he explains how he takes off the bracers at the bottom and the upper portions of his arm. He's like, these are the bracers of a scholar and I'm now going to adorn the bracers and bracelets and rings of a warrior. And he purposely hides, you know, hides his copper mines that has all the knowledge and starts actually putting on, you know, a pewter, a pewter bracelet, an iron bracelet, um, some rings. Uh, I think it was like tin and copper rings. And he's like, oh, I'm keeping a little bit of copper in one ring so I can store memories of what I'm about to see down there. Mm-hmm. But he's like, if I, if something were to happen to me, I was killed or whatever. I cannot risk all this knowledge being destroyed or dying with me. So he hides them. But uh, yeah, so they go down there and yeah, Sazed's like, still needs light to see. Marsh is like, whatever, goes and gets him a light. And what they find, what Sazed ends up finding in here, which I think very is Lovecraftian in a way, um, the geometry he describes as being very alien because it, right. it, if we think about how Steel Inquisitors see, it was not made to look good to normal eyes. Yeah, he did. He actually even mentions at one point, I think, that uh, these were not designed with people with normal sight. So for any listeners who who have read Lovecraft, right, that's very much how he describes. Uh, a lot of his, uh, a lot of like the aliens or a lot of the, the otherworldly beings, their geometry in general. And that's kind of what I thought here. Maybe to not, not to that extent, right? Not Eldritch Horror, but that's how I pictured it. It's just something that's just alien, right? You look at it and you go, why is it shaped like that? Indeed, yeah. And we end up learning that, you know, says it's like, well, you know, they had like this little like drawbridge sort of like, what is it? It's like more like a trolley down essentially. Um, so there must be like servants here because steel inquisitors could just jump down. There's mm-hmm. no need to have that. And they end up being right. And they end up finding the servants who are just all slaughtered. Uh, classic from the first book, classic steel inquisitor slaughter as they lay it out. And Marsh here points out something that I find really interesting. Marsh is like, I've come here for something that's in the steel inquisitors place where they, where they, where they stay um says it i don't mind you witnessing the atrocities of steel inquisitors but you're not gonna follow me he's like i i i don't mind seeing it myself but i can't see you see it if that makes sense and he's like okay fine yeah and so he goes off to grab something and says it finds i'm just gonna say it 
Sazed finds the epigraphs. He finds the epigraphs. He finds and, that the words, what were the first words? I write this now. I write these words in steel because anything not set in metal can't be trusted. Yeah, and what is it? It's literally just a giant plate of steel that, that these words are carved into. And Sazed is like, okay, 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 okay. You know, this is super important because he talks about Terrace, talks about Quan. He reads a little bit of it. And he goes, this is super important. And then March is like, we need to go. And it says it's like, all right, I'm going to take a rubbing of it. And he just takes a rubbing of it so he can like, he goes, this will preserve the style, the punctuation, everything I need. Now, more than ever, he kind of justifies it to himself. I now have to get these messages Up to north. to the Terrace. And I guess I can do that by going and seeing Vin and sending just some messengers. From Lucidel. And yep, and that's where we end with chapter 12. Okay. So, I mean, I, so we got we got a couple of, I mean, it's nice to see that season's going to be like, like, you can get stuck in the mix again. Um, Brandon did not take long this time to go, all right, we're going to find the epigraphs. <laughs> right. So we got to find the epigraphs. Um, and you know, we know that this is Quan and we, now we get to see him opine on the epigraphs earlier on in the, in the story than what we had with, with, uh, the final empire. And one of the better things is to opine on this podcast and let everyone know that we exist. Uh, we appreciate everyone that has been following us. Please give us, you know, give us a follow, let people know, uh, know, know that we, we're here and give us a good rating. Cause that kind of helps us get up there. Thank you for everyone who's been following us so far. Yes. Thank you for everything. Um, but, uh, the big cliffhanger we had was that there is a Chandra in our midst, um, and not just Osir. Yeah, it's, no. So, I mean, (laughs) um, and we knew that the body would have been taken within a, within only like a few hours because our server was able to smell, uh, with the, with the, uh, hound's nose and be able to tell like, Hey, this is, these, these bones have been only been here for a little while. Yeah. And when he points that out too, then... You know, I think he, she's using tin and she uses duralumin to enhance her sense of smell. And she smells it and goes, oh, oh, that's what that smell is. Yeah, I don't think she uses duralumin, but just tin is enough. You could, she could say, oh, like, maybe, it smells yeah, like bile yeah. uh, because duralumin would have, like, flared everything on her. Oh, yeah, she would have, yeah, fell down. That would have been pretty bad. Um, but, I mean, that means that anyone on the crew could be a chondra. Anyone that we run into from here on out could be a chondra. Um, and we are now here, like, you know, the word Chandra was spoken out, you know, early in, in the final empire. And now we know why, like they can be a huge, huge potential spying threat. Um, but that also means that someone we know could be dead. Yeah. So she points that out very quickly. She goes, a servant would be bad. A crew member would be worse. And she starts thinking about it and goes, I know it's not Breeze because Breeze just arrived. I know it can't be Ellen because I was with Ellen the entire time. And it probably can't be Clubs, I think, because I think Clubs was with them too. But she was like, wait a second. Spook, Ham, and she starts naming off the rest of the crew. It's like, still, that's a lot of people that could be potential. It could be any of them. And that's what she's really nervous about because if it's going to be a servant, odds of them finding out if one of the servants is a Chandra is, that's so hard. Basically, no. Uh, but she's like, but that's okay because we can deal with light spying like that. We can't deal with one of the inner circle being right. being a problem. And so, I mean, the like like we said before, like uh, Well of Ascension is a different book than Final Empire. A lot more like intrigue, big ideas, and everything like that. 
um we got to see more into like what the uh steel inquisitors environments are like and when it's like unsurprising right very alien mm-hmm. um designed in such a way because we remember that at the end of final empire um they basically saw like through blue lines they mm-hmm. could see metal and everything so of course like having metal and sharp angles and things like that is probably it's probably um, appealing to their sight which mm-hmm. is why it's the way it is maybe not even appealing but very practical um oh, yeah. you know ways that they can actually be able to navigate into and and even um Sasset said hey i can't even use my sight here because there's no light down here yeah marsh is like what you can't just tap eyesight and he's just like well and i still need light some light you know and marsh is like okay fine um, which speaks a lot right that's another thing i think you know i kind of just glossed over i talked about the geometry but like they, this place literally has no natural light yeah no at all. no light at all um and they and it's all hard services there's no decoration at all so they have servants right we find them all dead here but can you just take a moment to think about how horrifying it would be to be a servant here you know and i'm not even talking about just how the steel inquisitors treat people because obviously that's terrifying you are walking around with basically what like a bullet lantern in this pitch black thing and you can only imagine that Steel Inquisitors don't really care whether they startle you or not. Well, and the other <laughs> thing is, is that um, you know, there's areas of blood and spikes and and shackles and yeah, he mentions that there's spikes like the ones that are put in the Inquisitors, right? But and they're made of like just a bunch of different metals. Marsh is very, um, you know, hands off on the whole thing, and that's um, it's it's super creepy, but it, it's it's also super unfortunate that Marsh Marsh is not very revealing of everything um i think he even says like they've taken everything you know that could have been useful for us what were they storing there what was he expecting to find because says it's like no they didn't take everything i mean these epigraphs are, are you know are expected to be a big deal i mean finding the logbook before was huge um yeah let's just take a quick moment real fast like to praise brandon on this point because i went through his um his, like i said before in some previous episodes I went through his lectures before I read any one of his books. And one thing he said in his lectures was, how do you lore dump on someone without them feeling like you're lore dumping on them? And that his answer in Mistborn was the epigraphs. And it worked out perfectly because we you just kept like, when I first read them in Mistborn 1, I was like, what are these things? Whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then by midway through, I started hearing some things. That I was like, wait a second. Is that telling like the history? What is this? And so I started paying a little bit more attention to them. And then they found the logbook. And I went back through hyper-focused on all of the epigraphs at that point, trying to figure out what's going on here. And it works brilliantly because now, you know, Brandon, again, is lore dumping through these epigraphs, but now you're invested. You want to know. Right. And, and they're it, playing an integral part of the actual story. And what's funny is that it comes in so early, you know, because mm-hmm. I know everyone is going to be waiting, oh, we're going to find the epigraphs or something like that. And like, what's nice is um, whenever you get a, a mystery that you're really kind of itching on, if you get a mystery answered for you, a bigger one's coming up. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like every time you get excited, like, oh, this got answered, know that there's even a bigger mystery that's going to likely come up and, and take its place. There's <laughs> always another secret. Always another secret. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other thing is uh, I thought it was brilliant. The whole the whole like breeze and everyone explaining mm-hmm. the, the armies, that, that felt very much like the heist scene when they like explain like how they're going to do things. And. It makes like obvious sense, like after the fact. But I was like Ellen at the same time, like how could possibly bringing two armies here be beneficial for us? And it, it makes perfect sense, right? Like they're not going to join together. 
like Set and Straff are never going to work together, or at least from what we well, one we know Straff seems like a you know a terrible person in the beginning, but from what we hear, Set, he's also not going to. And there's no reason that they that you would expect them to necessarily ally with each other. So you just pit them against each other, and now you are the deciding factor because if one of them tries to attack and loses, then they might be weak enough to be picked off by the weaker party. Yeah, but like I mentioned before. You know, the, the the tension is still very high because they bought themselves more time, but they're still in extended siege. They can be starved out. Well, that's the thing is they admit like like this is not a solution. They just bought time. But time is something they were running. They were running out of really, really quickly early on. Um, so, I mean, that, that that whole sequence of where Breeze and Ham and everyone. Yes, yeah, it was it was nice to kind of get the, those interactions again. Um, was really really neat. It made me kind of like uh feel for the for those events that came up in the first book. Just make a note. Cut out this extended portion. I got us something. I agree, and it's really cool, but just like in the first book, we are now faced with our first major problem. There is a spy amongst our ranks, and in the next chapter, Vin's going to be grilling Osur on how she can possibly find the spy. Hey everyone, Vod here. Please rate our podcast and follow us for regular episodes Monday through Friday. If you enjoy listening, consider subscribing. We are a very small project, so please support us with likes and comments. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ontos. That's patreon.com slash O-N-T-O-S. Thanks again, and remember, our sentience depends on you.